found a shortcut through hedge maze. Why you little? No, no, go easy on the wee one. His father's gonna go crazy and chop mole into haggis. What's haggis? <gasps> Boy, you read my thoughts. You've got the shining. You mean shining. Shh, you wanna get sued? Now look, boy, if your dad goes gaga, you just use that shin of yours. Pommy? Hmm. What he's typed will be a window into his madness. Feeling fine. Wow, that's a relief. <laughs> along the lines of no TV and no beer make Homer something something. Go crazy? Don't mind if I do! Stay away from me, Homer! Give me the bat, Marge! Give me the bat! Give me the bat! Come on! Give me the bat! Give me the bat! <laughs> Scaredy cat. Welcome to another episode of the Cinema Psych Podcast, where psychology meets film. Today's episode is going to be maybe a little spooky, maybe a little crazy, maybe a little... Hmm. Spoilers ahead, of course. Today's film is Stanley Kubrick's Seminal masterpiece of Stephen King's novel, The Shining. So good. It's such a good film. Probably my favorite Jack Nicholson performance. So good. I mean, he's very chilling in it, right? He's very chilling. Uh, The film also stars... Uh, Shelley Duvall in, uh, I suppose, one of her more notable roles. Um, she was uh, olive oil in Popeye, right? She was olive oil in Popeye. Uh, Danny Lloyd plays a character named Danny. Hmm, shocking. Uh, and then there are a few other other random people in it, but it's really just Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and Danny Lloyd just doing really good character drama in the creepiest friggin' hotel ever. Uh, So the basic summary, and we'll get into more of this um, as we go through the episode, basic summary is that uh, a guy is a writer and he is um, uh, employed by a hotel that closes over the wintertime because it's uh, become, the roads become impassable. And there's something wrong with the 
there's something wrong with the hotel. It's uh, it was it was built on um, a Native American burial ground. This is made apparent in the beginning of the film, and then creepy stuff, creepy stuff comes out after that. It's a really good horror film. It really is. It's uh, a thriller. It's a horror film. It's so good, and I can't wait to get into the psych concepts that are in and by the way this episode is not going to be exhaustive on those psych concepts there's no way we could possibly do that i also wanted to mention that i'm going to be playing scenes from the film and i wanted to let everyone know that some of these scenes might actually be a little disturbing uh especially the uh here's johnny scene i have to play that i think i'm contractually obligated to play uh that scene in reference to this movie but it does have some Really gnarly music, and Shelley Duvall is screaming. So, uh, and uh, and and this might be the case for for other clips too. So, I just wanted to put out that general warning for the content in this episode. So, let's get right into it. My guest host today is Dr. Sully Coleman. Sully got his PhD in biobehavioral health at. Uh, Pennsylvania State University. He's currently a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Vermont Center on Behavior and Health, where he does smoking cessation research. Ooh, I should have you guest lecture. Anyway, sorry. Uh, in general, he's interested in studying how different characteristics of people, such as differences in personality, affect stress and health behavior. Now, one of the things that I wanted to mention before Sully jumps in here is that uh, Sully and I are alums of Cal State Northridge, CSUN, and of Dr. A. Brutchik, who I'm also trying to get on the show one day soon. And I don't know if Sully remembers this, but the first time I met him was as a first semester graduate student in Abe's lab, not knowing a single soul because I was a, a bad undergraduate. Um, <laughs> when you were an undergraduate... And um, the first time I met you was Abe was like, oh, just go participate in on the um, just go help out uh, Sully and, and Simon, I believe it was um, on the uh, red pen study. And That's so I, right. I I jumped in there one day in that one big room that had a bunch of cubicles in it. And I was like, yeah, so um, Abe told me to come over here. And it was it was good because you and Simon were undergraduates at the time. And so you were like, yeah, Dr. Rutchick, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, he told me to come and help you. And that was the first time I met you. Was I do my... remember that. Actually. You do? Okay. That. Really, man. The red pen study, dude. That's right. The object priming study. Yeah. The yeah. Ob- yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right, man. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, that's so funny. In any case, Sully, welcome to the show. Alex, thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's it's good. Yeah. I've I've been watching your uh I would say um film filminess uh over the the last decade. And um <laughs> I've always enjoyed your your deep your deep takes and your uh your sense of humor on Facebook with respect to movies. It's really good. And your taste in movies is also amazing. Thank you, man. Because we are talking about, um, we are talking about a really good movie today. Um, But before we jump into that, I did want to get your thoughts on what I've been watching so closely for a decade now. 
uh, no stalking, I suppose, um, <laughs> is your thoughts on film in general. And um, if you do, I, you, I know you're a postdoc and I don't know how much teaching you actually do as a postdoc um, in your current position. But um, if you when if you get the chance to be teaching again, um, would you use film in your teaching? Yeah, no, I so I, I don't do so much teaching right now as a postdoc, mm-hmm. um, but I actually, so I actually started out um, kind of in film school. That was, that was initially my major and my, that's wild. Was, yeah. Isn't that kind of funny? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was the route that I was going. And I took a, I took a few classes as an undergrad and I kind of decided it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I changed my major to psychology, but mm-hmm. In the teaching that I have done, I like to use examples from film. Okay. Um, yeah. So like to, to kind of, I guess, um, illustrate specific psychological conditions or yeah, processes, right. which is kind of like what we're going to be doing today. Or, you know, sometimes I'll also uh, use film to maybe represent larger theories of personality. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Um, and, and I think... Uh, I have uh, some data to crunch through, but I think uh, the vast majority of people who use film in their pedagogy do something similar where it's just like, we're not going to do the whole movie, but we're, we are going to take chunks out of here and there. Any particular films that you like using other than other than the one we're going to talk about today? Any other um, any other films? Yeah. So like in the in the past, I've used um, Bad Santa as mm-hmm. a representation of um, social learning theory. And right. uh, I like it because the film contains several examples of modeling bad behavior. And, you know, Billy Bob Thornton's character even says in the very beginning of the movie, you know, my dad was this a-hole and, you know, he, <laughs> he basically describes himself. He's like, but he did teach me how to, how to crack a safe. So it's just a, it's, it's a good example of, you know, modeling bad behavior and vicarious yeah. learning. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah, I, I, I should actually go back to I should actually go back to that. Um, now, you are originally from Vermont. Yes. 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 So was film school what brought you out to California? So I went down to Florida, Florida. Um, for, oh, yeah. Those Floridians, they're very well known for their film schools. Yes. Totally, man. Orlando. <laughs> yeah. Or- Orlando was the up and coming Hollywood, man. We were, we were Hollywood 2.0. Oh no, Lord! No, but it was um yeah. So so my intention was actually to go to uh, community college for a while, uh-huh. um, get my prereqs out of the way, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that I ended up in California, and I was going to try to keep going with it, but it just wasn't. It just was not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, you you know that's where we met. You, you know what the scene is like out there. <laughs> yeah, choosing choosing Cal State Northridge was probably the economical choice. Moving to California, <laughs> well, dude, I love that school, man. That was so much fun. No, it was good. It was good. Uh, I it was it was fun reminiscing with Angela um, a few episodes ago. We did that. When that we, was a we fun sh- show. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah, on Scream. Yeah. And speaking of other horror films, uh, we are talking about probably one of the better horror films. And from my perspective, I'm not a big horror guy, um, as I've mentioned uh, several times on this uh, on this program. But um, The Shining is actually probably top five horror film for me. Um, top five thriller for me. Um, nice. And I know it's actually kind of polarizing. But yep. it really is 
it really is like really well done filmmaking. So what made you choose uh, other than all of that? What made you choose <laughs> The Shining for our discussion? I mean, I, I agree with you. It's one of my favorite movies as well. I've seen it so many times. And the thing that makes it one of my favorite movies is I can continuously revisit it and always find something new and always find yeah. it thought provoking. And it's just fun to like talk about it with people and, you know, everyone has a different perspective and mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, it's just one of my favorite movies. So yeah. One of the, um, one of the YouTube channels that I follow on film stuff, um, uh, new rock stars in case anybody is interested. Um, they do a lot of nerd stuff, but one of the things that um, one of the guys did recently was on The Shining, and oh. they released it last month because because of Halloween coming up, and you know people need good things to talk about and and watch and whatever on YouTube. Um, but it was a like a twenty minute long dissection of missable details and connections and things like things like that. At no point did uh did they mention our main topic tonight which is why what what we're we're doing and the kind of research that you've been that you've been involved with uh previously and and currently and 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 that is narcissism yeah man what a time That's... to talk about narcissism oh my god oh my god it's so Oh, we could go down so many rabbit holes with that, but we're not going to. So, uh, so, so <laughs> do you want to uh, define what uh, narcissism is? And, yeah. and if you will, narcissistic personality disorder? Sure thing. Yep. So, um, all right. There are a lot of different perspectives on what narcissism is. And okay. unfortunately there is still some debate over the operationalization of the construct and what the primary components of it are. Okay. What I like, what, what I think is the most parsimonious definition of narcissism is it involves two primary components, right? There's grandiosity, which okay. is the motivational component of narcissism. And it's basically an overriding need for recognition and admiration to support and enhance this sort of inflated self-concept, this inflated sense of self-worth, okay. self-importance, right? And then you have vulnerability, right? Which is the regulatory component. That's the second primary dimension of narcissism. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with an inability to regulate your self-concept and your behavioral and, and emotional reactions when grandiosity is threatened. Okay. Okay. O only when grandiosity is threatened? When grandiosity or self-interests are threatened. Okay. So um, some of the some of the emerging, I guess, theories of narcissism, like the narcissism spectrum model, for example, um, posits that, you know, at the core of narcissism, like the sort of anchor of grandiosity and vulnerability, you have entitlement, this entitled self-interest, right? Sure. And then like the higher in narcissism a person is the easier it is to move back and forth along that spectrum from grandiosity to vulnerability. But, but basically what I was taught is that um, grandiosity and vulnerability are not mutually exclusive. They can okay. sort of oscillate or co-occur within an individual at varying degrees. Right. And they, Some, feed, would you say they feed each other? 
They yes, yeah, they could. They could. I mean, you could just be like consistently high in grandiosity, right? You might mm-hmm. never have that sort of deflated downswing. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I, I think that they they kind of feed off of each other, yes. Interesting. That is uh I actually you know, honestly wouldn't be able to tell you what the definition of narcissism is from a uh, from a psychological perspective. So it it's surprising <laughs> to me that there is debate on that right now yeah. Um, yeah. amongst yeah, amongst y'all. No, that's it. Yeah, you'll see you'll see like all of these different constructs that are brought up in the literature. You know, you'll see things like normal narcissism versus pathological narcissism. You'll see. Uh, grandiose versus vulnerable narcissism where, you know, the, the, that school of thought kind of treats them as separate constructs or like different subtypes. You'll see overt versus covert narcissism, mm-hmm. like, but really, you know, grandiosity and vulnerability can be expressed overtly, like in our observable behaviors or covertly, like in our private thoughts and fantasies. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's, there's, there's just a lot of stuff out there, but actually that, that then brings us back to what you were saying earlier. So what narcissistic personality disorder is, Sure, that is when, um, narcissism is so high, um, and it, it pervades so many different domains of a person's life that it actually causes functional impairment, right? Okay. Yeah. It causes mm-hmm. problems in your relationships. It causes problems at work, et cetera, et cetera. And a person has to meet, um, uh, specific criteria in order to get that diagnosis. Yeah, and I'm curious, and I know I know that you are not a clinician. I'm curious uh, if they a person if diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder would have the self awareness to um, operate within a treatment. Uh, I'm not sure about that. You know what, what I've read is that, um, like if a person comes to therapy and they're questioning whether they might fit a diagnosis of NPD, that, that can actually be an indicator that maybe they don't have it. Ah, okay. Because, you know what I'm saying? Cause yeah. it, it's, you know, a, a person with real NPD is going to have a very hard time with self-reflection, right? They're going to have a really hard time. Basically, my question, like, is that even something I mean, that's that's I would imagine it's an empirical question um, that just I mean, it's hard to, you know, you can't find these people. And then um, and then when you do find them, they're going to be like, "Mm, (laughs) yeah, 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 no, actually, yeah. So as I understand it, you know, people usually present people with NPD normally present with some other kind of problem, right? Okay. Because they're referred by the court system, or they'll present. Sure. They'll they'll present because you know their spouse is threatened to leave them if they don't go to therapy, or maybe they're depressed because they're going through a divorce, or maybe mm-hmm. they're struggling with some kind of substance use yeah. disorder, something like that. And then the NPD kind of shows itself over the course of their treatment for the other thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that make that makes a lot of sense. I I would I was would also be i mean you did mention some other uh psych disorders there so i'm i'm yeah i'm curious if is mpd uh potentially comorbid with other personality disorders like antisocial personality disorder yes yep okay. yeah yep antisocial personality borderline personality got it um yeah yeah it's it's usually not not usually i shouldn't say that 
it's highly comorbid with other personality disorders, substance use disorders. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, it's definitely there. Okay. And so bringing us back to the characters in the movie that, you know, characters would have potential personality issues. Yes. Jack Nicholson playing Jack. You know, of of the three main characters, I got to tell you, um, Shelley Duvall got the short end of the stick. She has to go by a different name. Wendy. Wendy. That's right. You're right. That's right, man. That's a good point. Yeah. Jack and Danny go by their first names. Oh, my God. I'm just realizing that. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. The um, Shelley Duvall uh, role in just a minute. But we do need to talk about Jack. And um, to reference my the previous episode, um, I am Jack's uh, unrelenting rage. Yeah. So I, I think that. Um, first of all, I, I think in The Shining, it doesn't really matter if there's a supernatural element or not. Like I've, I've heard both sides of that coin. Um, I, I think that regardless of whether there are actually ghosts in the hotel or not, mm-hmm. you can still evaluate Jack in terms of his narcissism. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things that you need, first of all, as, as evidence of grandiosity is you need to look at that need for recognition and admiration. Right. So think about the ballroom scene, right? So that's yeah. a that's a pretty key scene. I'm right? gonna go ahead later. and play that here. Good evening, Mr. Torrance. Good evening. Good to be back, Lloyd. What would be so? Hair of the dog that bit me. Bourbon on the rocks. That'll do it. No choice to you, Mr. Torrance. No charge? Your money's no good here. Orders from the house. Orders from the house. Drink up, Mr. Thomas. I'm the kind of man likes to know who's buying their drinks, Lloyd. not a matter that concerns you, Mr. Torrance. At least not at this point. Anything you say, Lloyd. Anything you say. Awful mess of your jacket, sir. Oh, uh, 
That's all right. Uh, I've got plenty of jackets. I'm afraid he's Avocar, so he tends to stain. Avocard, is it? Yes, sir. Look, um, I think the best thing is to come along to the gentleman's room, sir, and uh, we'll get some water to it, sir. <laughs> Looks as though you might have got a spot of it on yourself there, Jeevesy old boy. Uh, that doesn't matter, sir. You're the important one. Awfully nice of you to say. Of course, I intended to change my jacket this evening before the fish and goose soiree. So in that ballroom scene, for example, right, like... It doesn't really matter if, you know, he's having some kind of grandiose fantasy in that moment or if he's actually interacting with spirits, right? Mm -hmm. In that moment, he is in his street clothes at this formal ball, right? And he's kind of dancing and showing off and he's kind of got the swagger, right? And, you know, he he interacts with Grady, who is the old uh, keeper of the hotel. Grady mm -hmm. brings him into the bathroom. As he's bringing him into the bathroom, he says, you're the important one. You know, like it's it doesn't matter if he's telling himself that or if the ghosts are telling him that they're feeding into that sense of importance. Right. Yeah. That yeah. whole. Yeah. Go ahead. No. no, I was just sorry. I was just agreeing with you. Um, But I did want to add like uh, an additional scene where you kind of uh see that is when he is uh chasing. Well, he comes upon Wendy um, looking at his uh, masterpiece and uh, he just immediately starts pointing it at him. And he's like, did you ever consider my responsibilities? Yep. Um, yep. I signed That's a, a contract. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the pivotal scene in the movie, man. Like that that scene right there is for me, you know, that that is the declaration that he's the only one that matters. And that, that really comes at a point where, you know, he, he should be thinking about his family. He should be yeah. putting his family's needs first that I was actually, I was actually talking about this a little bit with Isabel recently. So <clears throat> like, imagine, you know, let's just say, for example, the ghosts actually do live in the hotel. Okay. Imagine you're there with your family, right? Mm -hmm. You're there and you're working on a novel, okay? And that's something that you could potentially do, right? You're an academic writer. Like you you could actually be in that type of situation, okay? Sure. Like your son has bruises, right? And he says that he was attacked by some crazy woman in the hotel or ghost or whatever, okay? So you're sent by your wife to go investigate. Now, you actually interact with the ghost. You see the ghost, mm -hmm. okay? And then rather than going back and reporting to your wife, yeah, I did. I did see it. Danny is he's right. We need to get him help. We need to get him out of here. It's not safe. Mm -hmm. He gaslights his wife. Mm -hmm. Right. And he says, no, I th in fact, I think that Danny might have done it to himself. Right? Yeah. And then when she questions that he flies off into a rage and it's, you know, again, you have a, another scene where he's kind of flipping out, you know, going off the off the handle and it's, yeah, it's just I, I can't imagine personally being in that type of situation. But I think that that just, again, speaks to his narcissism. I think that's what's going on with him. Yeah. And um, you mentioned that uh, also in that uh, ballroom scene, um, there's some potential racism. Yeah. So that's another. So, <clears throat> you know, I think that. So some some of some of Jack's grandiosity you kind of have to infer from mm -hmm. other things. So you know, I, I, 
a trait, right? Like a specific facet of grandiosity is this um, sense of superiority, right? Mm -hmm. You can kind of infer that um, from the way Jack has that discussion about um, Dick Halloran when he's talking with Mm -hmm. Grady in the bathroom when Grady's kind of like, you know, wiping the advocate off of him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that racism, it's again, it suggests that he sees himself as superior. You know, there's yeah. an early the, the first bar scene where he's first interacting with Lloyd. He talks about man's burden. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are, you know, there are these little like kind of snippets where it's like, you know, he I think he probably does have this sense of superiority that's that's a piece of who he is. Yeah. Um and also the go if there are ghosts right if this is the supernatural thing like and and our other discussion about the film is going to also discount the whole ghosts thing um in both bar scenes lloyd tells jack um in the ballroom ballroom scene and then the initial uh bar scene where it's just him him he's like can i get it can somebody give me a gd drink around here Mm -hmm. um uh lloyd says to him in two different ways both times that his money isn't needed here his credits always been the best um Mm -hmm. you know your cash is no good here or whatever and both times he uh, the first time he takes it and he's like oh okay all right look at me um and the second time he's a little confused in the ballroom, he's a little confused why they won't take cash because there's a big party going around. It's mm-hmm. like, that's weird. Um, yeah. But he still puts it, puts the $20 bill, I think is is what it is, neatly yeah. back yeah. in his wallet. And he's like, hmm. hmm. <laughs> you of know, he, he's very of matter of fact about it. Is. Yeah. <laughs> confused. And then like, oh, yeah, no, you know, I'm right. I'm good. Uh, so. Watching that scene again today, or actually watching both um, scenes again today with this lens that we've been putting together of of narcissism, I was like, that that uh, that tracks. And I I I had never noticed I had never noticed that. Yeah, no, it's actually it's a it's a good observation. And and for me, you know what that might also indicate too is, you know, Jack's perceived link with the hotel, right? Mm -hmm. So like. It doesn't really matter, you know, who is buying him the drink. Like it, he's he's part of that hotel, and he kind of knows it, and he he kind of feels and he believes it, you know. Yeah. And when they tell him, like, oh, you're the caretaker here. You've always been the caretaker here, and he just, you know, it doesn't take that much for him to buy into that, right? You, you know what I'm saying? But that also, too, I mean, y- you have to think about what the overlook itself represents. You know, there's there's another early scene where. Um, the family's being shown around the hotel and um, you know, Jack's employer is explaining um, you know, all the best people have stayed here, you know, the athletes, movie stars, you mm-hmm. know, royalty, all the, all the best people, you know, and, and they're going around and they, you know, the, they go to the, the storeroom in the kitchen and, Oh, we have all this stuff and look at all this. And it's, da, 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 and everything's just so grand. Like the grandeur is just in your face, you know, the, yeah. the ballroom, the just, it's, you know, so, you know, and then later in the movie, Jack says, like, oh, I've, you know, I, I just I feel like I've always been here, you know, like when they were showing us around, like I felt like I knew what was around every single corner. You know, mm-hmm. you've heard of deja vu, but this this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, you know, he just, 
like he just like it's him like the hotel is is kind of him yeah it's like an extension of him yeah uh which is which you know with with the whole ghost thing um you know if he's always been the hotel then he's always been the caretaker then why did that woman like trick him which woman the uh the dead woman the dead woman is a um uh, young younger naked woman and then turns into an older woman with a a uh damage water damage basically I don't know. Actually, that's kind of a good question. I've never really okay. One of one of the theories that I heard um, recently is that um, you know maybe there are no ghosts in the hotel, and you know <laughs> what the person presenting this theory says is that every time he's interacting with a ghost, he's actually looking at himself in a mirror. Have you heard that theory? Hmm. No, but that is interest. That is very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to. Uh, I kind of like that. Yeah, I'm gonna have to rewatch now. I'm gonna yeah, have to rewatch yeah. now. Yeah, um, and it's interesting too because that even actually plays to uh, the scene where he gets locked in the cooler, right? So, like when uh, Grady is on the other side of the door and he's mm-hmm. trying to talk to him to get him to let him out, right? Yeah. The the other side of the door is uh is metal. Yeah, actually like, yeah. So really, like he could just be talking to himself. But then who opens the. Well, actually, there are a bunch of theories about that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's wild, isn't it? That's totally wild. My theory, and I'm sure there's some alignment with somebody somewhere, is that it was Dan. Well, Tony. Yep. That's actually that that is that is theory number five in the particular <laughs> breakdown that I'm thinking about. Yeah, that's yeah. They they actually say that um, you know, Danny had the the end of the movie kind of set up. Like he he actually was planning to kill his father. Mm-hmm. Everything was kind of I mean the the it was just a matter of setting the ball in motion. So Danny came down and actually unlocked the door for his dad. Mm. Yeah, that's that's one of those theories, yeah. Um, I mean, they did talk about the Donner party. That's at the right. Very beginning of the movie. That's right. Right. And, um, Danny sort of let, gives, uh, gives away some, some of it. He's like, yeah, I know all about cannibalism and what people have to do. You mean they ate each other up? <laughs> See, My God. he saw it on the TV. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh so let's talk about this narcissism with respect uh to Wendy. Um, yeah. Uh in what many have said um both Shelley Duvall and people around her say that she had the worst experience on set. Stanley Kubrick was terrible to her. And because Jack Nicholson is a method actor, he was terrible to her too. So she had no fun while the cameras were rolling as well as while the cameras weren't rolling. Um, So, I mean, the terror that you get from her in that movie is palatable, I think. Yeah. Um, because 
And and I think it's when you first view it, when I first saw it, I didn't know about um her treatment on set and and all of that. And um you know, I I thought she was scared too. I was younger, so things scared me more, I suppose. Um but when you watch it after you find out that she was just like constantly terrorized. Um Yeah. Yeah, people that like her, her on that. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, they were terrible. And they're like crap. Um that her terror on screen is actually just like it's real. Like you know that when Jack puts his face through the door and says, Here's Johnny, mm-hmm. um, she's just like Yeah. But for real. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. I don't people can't see me, but um I did a I did a very scared face. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Thanks, it was, thanks. It was good. I appreciate that. Um, so you mentioned gaslighting already, and she specifically yeah. uh, gaslights when or she uh, Jack specifically gaslights uh, Wendy uh, pretty much throughout the entire movie, but yeah. specifically yeah. with the whole um. Uh, Danny incident and the the bruises and and sores around his neck from being uh, strangled or t- attempted strangling. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then there's other there are there's other issues with her um, relationship with Jack. Do you, you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think the contempt is is palpable throughout the 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 movie. You know, like there's a scene where she brings him breakfast, right? He sleeps in really late and she says to him, um, you know, maybe after you're done eating, you can bring me for a little walk, you know? And he says, well, I suppose I should get some writing done. You know, I've, and he kind of alludes to having some trouble. Like maybe he's got a little bit of writer's block and she says, you know, Oh, you know, it's she's something to the effect of, you know, it's it's just like riding a bike. You know, once you get back into it, like you'll, you'll get it. You know, he kind of looks at her and rolls her eyes like, yep, that must be it. Mm -hmm. You know? And it just, you know, just subtle little contempt like that, you know? Hi, hon. How's it going? Fine. Get a lot written today? Yes. Hey, the weather forecast said it's going to snow tonight. What do you want me to do about it? Oh, come on, hon. Don't be so grouchy. I'm not being grouchy. I just want to finish my work. Okay, I understand. I'll come back later on with a couple of sandwiches for you, and maybe you'll let me read something then. Wendy... explain something to you whenever you come in here and interrupt me you're breaking my concentration you're distracting me and it will then take me time to get back to where i was understand yeah fine and we're gonna make a new rule whenever i'm in here you hear me typing whether you don't hear me typing you hear me doing in here when i'm in here that means that i am working that means don't come in how do you think you can handle that yeah fine when 
don't you start right now and get the f out of here. There's a there's another part. I think the first okay. time, um, uh, she he he calls her actually. So this is even earlier. He he calls her to, um tell her that he got the job right she's all excited for him you know and like he just he can't reciprocate and he just you know she's like oh so it sounds like you got the job and he's just like right mm-hmm. you know it's like man like you just you know you're just not there like you're just not meeting her on the same page and and those are just the subtle examples like you know it it, it gets so blown out of like proportion like his his contempt so when um when she comes in to I think bringing like a sandwich or something like that. He's working on his manuscript Mm -hmm. and he's typing and she, she just wants to visit him and say hi. And, you know, she asks if, you know, maybe she can read something when it gets to a good point and he just absolutely blows up on her. I mean, what it like, you know, he's just like, if I'm in here, you know, leave me alone. And it's just, it's just a mess. Yeah. So you can just, I mean, he he has obvious contempt for it. And then, then when he's first talking to Lloyd at the bar, he even says, you know, he, he even says, he's like, she'll never let me forget what I did to our son. And it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, it's awesome. I was going to bring you know? that up. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, a particular scene too. I'll, I'll go ahead and play that as well. Hi, Lloyd. A little slow tonight, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, it is, Mr. Torrance. What'll it be? I'm awfully glad you asked me that, Lloyd. Because I just happen to have two twenties and two tens right here in my wallet. I was afraid they were going to be there till next April. So here's what. You slip me a bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. You can do that, can't you, Lloyd? You're not too busy, are you? <laughs> no, sir. Not busy at all. Good man. You set him up, and I'll knock him back, Lloyd, one by one. White man's burden, Lloyd, my man. White man's burden. Say, Lloyd, it seems I'm temporarily light. <laughs> How's my credit in this joint, anyway? Your credit's fine, Mr. Torrance. That's swell. I like you, Lloyd. I always liked you. You were always the best of them. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. Thank you for saying so. I wouldn't touch one hair on his goddamn little head. I love the little son of a bitch. (laughs) I'd do anything for him. Any fucking thing for him. But that bitch, as long as I live, 
She'll never let me forget what happened. I did hurt her once, okay? It was an accident. Completely unintentional. Could have happened to anybody. And it was three goddamn years ago! The little fucker had thrown all my papers all over the floor. All I tried to do was pull them up. The momentary loss of muscular coordination. You extra foot pounds of energy per second, per second. Yeah, he, uh, he talks about how, um, in a roundabout way, how he um, hurt Danny in what he calls an accident. But if it truly was an accident, I don't think he would, or Wendy would, um, hold it over his head, whether she was or not, right? Because we don't actually know. She's not... The only time she gives it away is when she first sees Danny with the the um, marks and bruises on his neck, and she immediately thinks it's him. But yep. she had previous days, um, and she just heard Jack tell her about a nightmare he had about chopping them up into little pieces. Like, <laughs> you telling me you had that nightmare, and then now my son, whom you've hurt before has mm-hmm. things around his neck. She does jump to that conclusion pretty quick. But I don't know if that would be her whole constantly holding it over his head. Yeah, I just, you know, so he, he victimizes is- himself quite significantly. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. He's like, definitely oh, does. poor me. All I need is a drink. <laughs> I'm entitled to a drink. I need it. Yeah, I need it. And we'll talk about his alcoholism in a little bit. Um, but um, you had an interesting tidbit here in our notes, Doc. Um, I mean, Stephen King is famously so anti this movie. Um, yeah. And one of his criticisms was Wendy. Um, uh, you want to care to elaborate on that one, Sully? Yeah, yeah. So um, Stephen King thinks that Kubrick's take on Wendy is incredibly misogynistic. So he's, Uh, he actually is quoted as saying Shelley Duvall as Wendy is really one of the most misogynistic characters ever put on film. She's basically just there to scream and be stupid. And that's not the woman I wrote about. So I have to disagree with Stephen King on that one. And now let me just quickly say, right. So, Stephen King also hates academic takes on this film, right? <laughs> so I, I kind of hope that I he can, never I can this, dig that, right? So I'll tweet I, him. Like, perfect, <laughs> but like, um, I just, I, I, I don't agree. I think that Shelley Duvall is acting like someone who is in an abusive relationship with a narcissist. I think that okay. that's that's how people act when they've been in a relationship like that for many years, you kind of have to just put your head down and submit or face their wrath. 
that's mm-hmm. just kind of what that's how you survive those relationships until you can find the strength to get out you know and as i see i mean you know she's she's certainly scared of him i mean she's definitely scared for her child but i actually see her as being quite strong in the movie i mean she plays a critical role in saving herself and her son yeah right yep. i mean we all know what stress well maybe we do i mean stress kind of it it hinders your ability to think i mean no one's going to argue that she's not stressed out in that movie like no one's good no one's going to say you know oh wendy's she's fine she's coping like no like yeah you know what i mean like nobody's going to cope with a situation so like you know when she's struggling with locks and you know she's kind of like you know kind of stumbling around and like a fuck like of course she's crazy stressed out come out wherever you are Like, of course, she's going to be acting like that. Yeah. So the fact that she can pull it together enough, for example, to crack him with a bat, right? And then drag him into the cooler and lock him in the cooler, mm-hmm. right? And then whack him in the hand with a, with a knife. Like, I give her props, man, for real. Yeah. Like, I just, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I just disagree that she's a, she's a totally misogynistic character. That's fair. Um, you you know it's hard to know because um the way that uh Shelley Duvall just totally plays a, a broken person it's hard to it's hard to tell but yeah i do agree that she was incredibly strong in that film and um in in all honesty she's the protagonist of the story we're all we're all rooting for her we, maybe we're rooting for Danny because he's a little boy um, but we're rooting for her. I hear you, man. I agree. I, um, I agree. And uh, the, I mean, you get you, you get the sense that their relationship is not good when they are driving, right? So you you 
right after um, he calls her, it basically just fades to them driving up um, for the uh, caretaking. And um, the contempt is there, as you mentioned, but also just like her um, acquiescence to everything he says. Mm -hmm. Right? He's just, or she's just, um, I mean, you, you mentioned head down. Uh, she's just gonna go, yes, yes, dear, yes, dear. You know, she's mm -hmm. bringing him food. Um, mm -hmm. she's attempting to check on her on his well being. Like, she ran from like a zigzag when he was having his uh, when he was having his nightmare. She's like, ah, oh, here, I hear crying. I'm going to run, and then she like runs like from 50 feet from 50 yards away or whatever um to come comfort him and and yeah. uh brings in breakfast in bed and stuff like that like no it's sure. really it's yeah like it's it's terrible but that's you know i think that yeah i just that that is how i would expect someone to act if they were in a relationship for that much time with someone who is so deeply narcissistic i mean you can even pick up on you know how just kind of messed up she is when she's talking with the doctor after danny's first uh little spell there right yeah so you know the doctor says well tell me a little bit about danny you know when did um i'm sorry uh tony Tell me a little bit about Tony. When did Tony show up? Mm -hmm. She says, oh, well, you know, that was probably right around the time of his of Danny's incident. She's like, well, what ha what happened to Danny? Like what what happened? And then she describes, you know, oh, well, you know, it's just purely an accident. You know, it's just mm -hmm. the kind of thing you do 100 times with a child, you know, just picked him up by the arm, yanked him a little too hard. And on this particular occasion, broke his arm. And the doctor is like looking at her with terror mm -hmm. it's like what are you talking about like that that's horrible you know but she's just like <laughs> you know oh yeah it's just happens yeah mm -hmm. you know i mean that's that's i don't know i just it's i think she's trying to protect her <laughs> narcissistic husband i think she's it's it's sad it's i think it's unfortunately too the kind of thing that probably happens a lot mm -hmm. yeah i would agree uh, so we're going to take a short bit of a break and uh, come right back to it with a, um, a, a quick little take. So we'll be right back. Hey, listener. Thanks for sticking around this episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Anyway, I need your help in growing this podcast's audience. In past episodes, I've asked you to share this podcast with five of your friends. Let's keep doing that. Share this podcast on social media, especially if you really liked an episode. Share that episode. Tell five of your friends or family if they have an interest in film or psychology, or even better, both. Growing the audience is our goal for the second year of programming, and so we need your help to get that done. Other ways to contribute to the podcast include tips to our PayPal, found on our website, becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cinemapsychpod, rocking some sweet merch from our Spreadshirt shop, and or leaving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast service. Now back to the show. 
right. So one of the um, other uh, other notes that I wanted to uh, bring in here is uh, every time that I've watched the movie, especially with a with a psychology lens, is um, what is very clear to me. Very clear to me that Jack has an alcohol use problem. Um, and he has a bit of an anger issue. And I'm curious if um, I, I have I have uh, agreement out in the ether here that uh, everything is in happening in Jack's mind. Well, for the most part, uh, uh, Wendy and, and Danny are real, but um, everything that happens at the uh, hotel is not. Um, and we are witnessing a man um, who has uh, a psychotic break uh, in some undetermined amount of time. Like you're told at the beginning when the uh, hotel is closed, but we actually get no indication of when and how far into the what? I think it was six months, seven months. Yeah, yeah. Something, something like that. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is closed. We don't know. And yeah, maybe it is six months, but Nine months? I, don't I don't know. know. It, it it could be um or yeah, or something like that. Uh it could be any amount of time. All we see is snow falling and, and blanketing the hotel, which makes the roads impassable. Um that it's just like it's all a, psych- a psychotic break happening at one random point. Now I know, I know that uh, Danny also sees visions, so that doesn't help me out in my explanation. But it's just if 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 I was told. Hey, find a character in here and um, assign a diagnosis to him. I would go with, I would go with a psychotic, like a, some sort of psychotic disorder. I don't think I would would come on MPD first. I would come with like alcohol induced psychosis. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. So one one thing that I th- I think even Kubrick himself said is that he considers it to be the story of a a family that is just slowly going mad together that they're all going mm. insane and that they're all um you know having that break from reality so they're they're all experiencing these hallucinations i mean even wendy starts seeing ghosts at a, at, at the end of the movie oh right you know so that that is a possibility um but i think that one thing that is is debatable is whether there's actually any ho- alcohol in the hotel Mm. Right. So, you know, they, they say earlier in the movie that they remove all of the alcohol from the hotel for insurance purposes. Right. So unless you brought your own, it's going to be dry. And then Jack says, well, we don't drink. So that's not even an issue. Mm. Right. So unless the ghosts are actually manifesting alcohol for him to drink, I don't know if I don't I don't know if you could say it's like an alcohol induced psychosis. I mean, maybe, maybe it is some type of psychosis, but I don't know if it would be alcohol induced. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think you raised a good point. I think it's, I think it's debatable. I think another thing too, though, that's debatable is maybe, maybe it's symbolic. 
you know, maybe he's mm-hmm. drinking in the grandeur mm-hmm. of the hotel. You know, I mean, he's being offered spirits by a spirit. You know, maybe he's just <laughs> maybe drinking it in, you know, and this is this is it. You know, the other thing that I again, like I like I said earlier, you know, I heard recently that, you know, maybe he's never interacting with ghosts because every time he's he's talking with one, he's sitting across from a mirror, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, then that can kind of bring you back to that whole notion of grandiose fantasy. You know, I mean, I don't know if you've ever like fantasized you know getting into an argument with someone and just decimating them mm-hmm. right like you know mm-hmm. what i mean like just get you know what i mean like you fantasize that conversation in your head he could be doing that yeah like he yeah. could be doing you know like he's he's mad at his wife you know so he's gonna go and talk to his favorite bartender about it and she just went and yeah i'm right i'm the one you know and it's and he just that's that's grandiose fantasy and he's just getting it all out there you know, and when he, it's the same thing when he's in the bathroom and he's talking with Grady, he's facing the mirror, you know, but but Grady is just you're the best and you're the way and you know that there's this person trying to interfere with the way you're bringing up yourself. Maybe you should correct him. Yeah, yeah, I will. I will do that. You know, yeah, it's just why I, hmm. I just that it, it just it, it always comes back to grandiosity for me. Like Jack just has sure. this. You know, he has this sense of self importance that's just unshakable and i i think that the alcohol in that movie is just maybe metaphorical for him just letting it go like he's tried for so long to hold it together but like he's entitled to more you know he's he's entitled to do what he wants to do and he shouldn't have to work and he should be part of this elite group and that's just that's just he deserves it mm-hmm I, I, that's that's my take on it anyway. I like that. Uh, I like that better than mine uh, because you bring up a very good point about the alcohol not actually possibly being there. He does act drunk after he drinks the Jack Daniels, though. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe he's drunk on power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's drunk on his own. He's sense like, of- oh, my credit is amazing here. I am the best the overlook jack tell <laughs> uh yeah that i mean you know some i i think somebody is is having a psychotic break i think somebody is um i mean what's the explanation then for the all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy in like as many different uh, arrangements as one could make in typesetting and f- formatting. It's yeah. The paragraph, the prose form of all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy is like the wildest one on a typewriter, no less. I know. Yeah. Now he, he, <laughs> I think that he is well aware of his lack of talent. And I think that being forced to, I think that he's being forced to confront it by being locked in the hotel with no excuse, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't have any excuse, but to write. He says early in the movie during his interview, well, months of isolation is exactly what I want because I'm trying to write this novel. And I, that's, I, that's peace and quiet is just what I'm looking for. Right? Well, now you got it. So you have no excuse. So you need to write this grand novel, mm-hmm. right? 
and he can't do it. And he sits there and he's typing away and he yells at his wife when she interrupts his thought process, but his thought process doesn't even exist. And you see him wasting all of this time, you know, and you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt earlier in the movie, you know, you see him, you know, bouncing the tennis ball off the wall and, you know, he's screwing around, he's staring at the model of the hedge maze and he's doing all, and he's staring out the window and he looks like he's going crazy. You know, and you kind of say like, well, maybe, maybe he's got some writer's block, you know, maybe he's just kind of, but when she actually discovers like my husband hasn't been doing anything, like this is all BS. Like he had, he's just been writing this nonsense over and over and over again in, in different shapes on the page, like, you know, and then he comes in, right. And he realizes that he's been outed, right. He's a total fraud. Right. So now now that his grandiosity in terms of his writing ability is shattered, you see him pivot to, oh, well, I'm so, like they my employers have placed their complete trust in me. And then that then is the catalyst for the, the key scene in the movie. That's the that's the bat scene. That's the scene where, you know, he says, like, well, did you ever think about my needs? Did mm-hmm. you ever think about me? Mm-hmm. It's like, I th- I don't know, man, that's that's it for me. What should be done with him? I don't think that's true. I think you have some very definite ideas about what should be done with Danny and I'd like to know what they are. single moments thought 
talked about my responsibilities. Have you ever thought for a single solitary moment about my responsibilities to my employers? Has it ever occurred to you that I have agreed to look after the Overlook Hotel until May the 1st? Does it matter to you at all that the owners have placed their complete confidence and trust in me and that I have signed a letter of agreement, a contract, in which I have accepted that responsibility? Do you have the slightest idea what a moral and ethical principle is. Do you? Yeah. I, 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 that's one of my favorite scenes in all of film is literally the um, slow walk forward, her walking backward up the stairs, up the stairs, hit with the bat, fall down the stairs. Now I have a limp. Um and so I'm That's slowed. I'm slowed. Kills. Yeah, it's it's such a good shot. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, no cuts. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just one continuous shot. Yeah. Well, oh, act- OK, well, uh, no, no, actually, that, it, you're it right. No, 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 no. So that, you know, I, I think that. Well, actually, I'm not I'm not really sure. I know that uh, reaction shots of Wendy are interspersed in that right oh it does, right it does yeah 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 i'm not sure if they did jack's see i don't know if they did that all in one take that would be interesting to look into though yeah it's 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 such a good such a good scene contract <laughs> and i've signed a contract oh my god my jack nicholson is terrible <laughs> do you know what that means your Jack Nicholson is good, man. No, like, no, it's dude, not. Dude, yes, it's it not. is. I, I think it's. I think it's. Good. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's uh, it's it's a work in progress. We'll say, you know, as he's <laughs> done acting. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just, I, I don't know. Some of the like, the, I don't know if you can quickly jump to a diagnosis of a personality disorder when there's an active substance use disorder. I think the substance use disorder has to be under control before you can suggest maybe this person has a personality disorder. Gotcha. That said, that, that said again, and this is all with the cat. I'm not a clinician, so I don't, you know, that's how I understand it. Mm -hmm. That said, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Jack has been sober for three years. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the incident with his son, with Danny, he reports happened three years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. And Wendy said earlier in the movie that, well, something good did come out of the incident. You know, he said, Wendy, I'm I'm st- I'm done drinking. And if I ever have another drop, you can leave me. And he hasn't had a drop and he's been sober ever since. Mm-hmm. But actually, well, now, you know what? Now, now that I think about it, though. There might be some inconsistencies there because I think she gives a. I, I think she might say in that scene that he actually hasn't had alcohol for like five months, so it might actually be less than three years. So I'm not sure. Actually, now I have to revisit that. 
there's always if if the alcohol is real, there's always the possibility that um it's ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. I well, here's another thing too. Ghosts I, who can um who can uh make you see things. They're hallucinogenic ghosts. That's right. They're ghosts who can make you see things and they can slang drinks. But you know what? But 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 here's the thing though. Like I think that it's kind of both, right? Like I think that there are ghosts in the hotel and I think they're feeding into Jack's grandiosity. I think they're playing off of it because they're trying to drive him mad because they're they're trying to pull him in to that hell. Does that make sense? They're trying to get him. Yeah. I don't know. It still doesn't explain the last shot though. The oh the the uh 1921. Um, yeah, where like he's that. like the great yeah. Well, maybe that's but that's the that's the trap. They got him now. And now he's in the picture. And it's kind of interesting too, because in that shot, you know, you kind of see him with the big arms, you know, like yeah. he's kind of you know, and he's in the front of the crowd and he's got all these people behind him. And then then it's the real grandeur. Like he's there, like he's in. Now he really is part of the hotel. Mm, man, oh, man. Uh, if people have not been choosing. So I, I know some instructors have like, um, you know, diagnose fictional character or whatever in like an abnormal psych class or something like that. Uh, I don't I don't teach abnormal, so I don't. I don't, I don't use those things, but if people have not been using Jack Torrance as their NBT, excuse me, NPD, um, then they're they're just missing out because this is a gold mine. I <laughs> would not have ever thought of any of this, and looking through that grandiosity lens, it is pretty confirming. Um, it is a little bit of confirmation bias for me right now, but it's still <laughs> I. I uh I I buy into it because it it it's a little I like to what I like to do for movies like this is sort of evaluate um is it supernatural or is it something else right or is it psychological because if it's not supernatural then it's probably psychological um and of course there are obviously truly supernatural films out there but I like I like the challenge that um the shining gives in whether or not the evidence that kubrick puts in because yeah he did deviate quite a bit from stephen king's novel um whether it is something psychological or or um supernatural and there are hints for both but that's what i think makes the that's what i think makes it so interesting to watch and rewatch uh, over and over again so you know i don't fault you for for watching this so often <laughs> that you could probably recite it in your sleep um <laughs> seriously I've, I've probably seen it like a hundred times dang dude Maybe, dang. yeah it's ridiculous man i watch pro- probably a couple of times a year at least it's that's weird man but i have a few movies like that actually like i i watch shawshank redemption like that mm. like it's forrest gump there's another one. I watched that movie like that. But yeah, I mean, um, yeah, The Shining, like kind of like I said earlier, I don't think it really matters if there are ghosts in the hotel or right. not. That was my that was my point is that you can kind of go either way with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's interesting. But I think that you actually raise a, a really good point about psychosis. And that's something that people have talked about. And, you know, maybe the family just is kind of spiraling. You know, I mean, they that, do mention that, the Donner Party. I know it's it, it's like one of the dumber clues um, <laughs> that or connections that, you know, us us viewers can make. Uh, but it it is kind of it is kind of on the nose. It is. Yeah. Yep. You know, they didn't go as far as cannibalizing each other, but step up, you know, they, yeah, I, uh... I mean, I mean, they did have a um, frozen uh, meat bag out there. They did the Jaxical at the end, the Jaxical at the end. Yeah, they they could have survived the rest of the winter on that meat. Just in case. Yeah. Just in case. They if only if only they had gone back. <laughs> Cause you know, they were on their whale path for freedom with that snowmobile. So they were like, or snow tractor or whatever it was. Yeah, they just oh how gross would that thaw been? When Oh my god. When when they find when they find him in the summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Oh in the middle god. of the maze. They find him oh. in the middle of the maze. They're like, what's that smell? Something died. Um, oh, it's the caretaker. And um they're like trying to they're trying to pinpoint where where it is, where the smell is coming from. They're like, oh F, it's in this in the middle of the maze. Great. Let's get it. Oh, it oh, it's no wonder the lights were on when we got here and we couldn't <laughs> find the guy. <laughs> oh my Why God. are no the doors God. broken in room 237? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, well, this explains Dr. it. Did you see Dr. Sleep? Mm-mm. You it's on my it watch list for for forever and now that um now that we've had this conversation i i plan to right because um yep. uh you mcgregor plays danny right that's right yeah it's not a guy named danny sorry can't watch it oh no the actor's not name is name's not danny oh. they should have had danny trejo play <laughs> <laughs> That would have been, been a that would have been amazing. Wow, wow, Danny, you've changed. Shut <laughs> up. I've got the shining. Uh, oh. oh my god, man. Uh. Yep. <laughs> no, dude, check Ooh. that out though, for real. Like the the alcohol use disorder is key in Doctor Sleep. Like that is prominent. So that even I I just think even. It's more to the debate about the shining. Mm, okay. And but obviously not made by Stanley Kubrick. Uh so uh we'll have to see how it goes. I, I've heard mixed reviews, so um I will go into it with um semi-low expectations, I suppose. But yeah. with the intent yeah. for question answering. Yep, yep, yep. So I wanted to add in another little piece here that has been missing from a few episodes recently, which is the Your Thoughts segment. Yeah, it's back. And I have some Your Thoughts on Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece, The Shining. 
uh, from several people in the uh, Society for the Teaching of Psychology. Uh, these are the people that I asked specifically to let me know which, uh, what kind of ideas um, you talk about with respect to this movie in your classes. If you were going to use The Shining as a pop culture psychological concept reference and Jason Geller added that um, The Shining could be couched within the current pandemic and tied to isolation and the negative effects it can have and that's an amazing little thing and then Molly added a screen cap from uh, Jennifer Reich my 13 year old child watched The Shining tonight not scary and he's Unimpressed. He explains, quote, we've been at, we've been home for nine months and we are supposed to believe that after six months alone with this, his family, he goes crazy and kills them. Another thing ruined by COVID. And uh, if you're not familiar, Molly is a friend of the show. Uh, now, uh, Justine, another friend of the show, Justine Egan Kanicki, uh, she did the Zootopia episode. Uh, I think you could contextualize it with the themes of domestic violence and alcohol addiction, which we did, uh, specifically the alcohol addiction, primarily uh, besides the obvious isolation themes pointed out by uh, Jason. I was also thinking the discussion of how Jack, uh, of how Jack and... Uh, how he's always compensating in his striving to be a writer. And I think that it, it hits specifically at what Sully was saying here with um, with the narcissism. It's just a function of his strive to be um, regarded, well-regarded. Uh, and of course, it's just a great horror. Uh, it's just a great horror film. So we are a little bit behind Um we are a little bit behind the times there for this being a Halloween episode, but that's all right. Uh, and then finally, Rachel Ritchie Ballerman asked if we had watched Dr. Sleep. Now, I have not, but Sully has, and he told me that it is pretty good. Um, and so things that we could talk about with respect to both films, The Shining and Dr. Sleep, is the is that childhood trauma and alcoholism are major themes in both movies and it appears that uh, of the parts that I have watched so far in Dr. Sleep that Danny is very much showing similar alcoholic traits as Jack did in um and and that just goes to show how um alcohol use disorders do have a genetic component and that is your thoughts segment uh please stick around for the rest of the episode it's a good one well i want to thank sully coleman for joining me to discuss the shining yeah, While saying goodbye, Sully, is there anything that you'd like to plug uh, where folks can find more about your work? Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Sullivan C. That's at S-U-L-A-M-U-N-N-C. And uh, I'd also like to plug my three big advisors in their respective labs. Dr. Abe Rutchick, that is a common link for me and Alex. Mm -hmm. um, he's the director of the Social Psychology and Daily Experience Lab. Dr. Joshua Smythe at Penn State, the director of the Stress Health and Daily Experiences Lab, and Dr. Stephen Higgins, 
the director of the University of Vermont Center on Behavior and Health. Um, I definitely recommend looking them up and checking out their lab websites, which also happen to include links to my research. And obviously, Alex, thank you very much for having me on your show. And yeah, man. Uh, yeah. I think everyone should share this and listen to it and just share it widely. And thank you. Thank you. Yeah, buddy. Um, it, it was... Uh... Uh, truly a pleasure having you on uh, talking about this movie when you can just rattle off oh yeah there's a theory about that there's a theory about that without without even flinching <laughs> without even flinching so that was great fun um, that's gonna do it for this episode uh, until the next one thanks for listening alright you can stop 